Hello again, everyone, and welcome to Trail Tales. I'm your host, Tom Funk. Thanks for joining me. We will be continuing my Million Steps, which is an unpublished manuscript, chronicling my hike across Michigan's Upper Peninsula using as much of the North Country Trail as I can find during the summer of 1998. Well, let's get going. I'm currently in the Pictured Rocks. Good night's sleep. Let's uh, eat some breakfast and hit the trail. So I camped last night at Beaver Creek, and I'm going to end up at 7 Mile. Uh, I have to I'll hike 5.7 miles today for a trip total of 291.4 miles. Weather today, high of 78, low of 55, and due to the wind coming off the lake, no bumps. Trail conditions, roots, rocks, and some steep sections. One learns to make do. One learns to make the best of very little. I use sticks to hold my hair bun together. Large, smooth leaves for toilet paper, baking soda for deodorant and toothpaste, and glowing candlelight in place of electricity. I actually sew my underwear, mend the elastic, patch my pants, darn my socks. Nothing is thrown away. Even when my clothes literally fall off me, I recycle it and use it as rags. My washing machine is a stream and my dryer the sun as my clothes hang on the back of my pack. I can learn to make do and do without nearly everything except people. People who care and love me. People I can hug. That comes from Cindy Ross's A Woman's Journey on the Appalachian Trail. Well, since today's going to be a short hike, I decided to sleep in. My night was considerably warmer for a couple of reasons. For one, it was 15 degrees warmer than the night before. And two, I put every stitch of clothing on. Fleece, t-shirt, long sleeve shirt over long underwear on my torso, long underwear pants, and rain pants on my bottom. I was toasty warm last night. Rolling out of bed near 9.30 a.m., I feel recharged. My campsite is quiet. The beatnik and his teens are still sleeping. All the other sites are empty with the exception of one family who are about ready to move on. I hang out for a while, read my book on Copernicus, and air out my laundry that had not completely dried last night. About noon is when I decided to leave camp and head a paltry five and a half miles to seven miles. By this point in the day, it had become a little hazy and the wind was out of the south, driving small biting flies called sable flies out of the woods and to the beach. They are immune to DEET or any type of bug spray, and the best defense is to wear clothes, which seem to work well. Just beginning my walk, some over-motivated hikers come into camp and declare their territory. They give me that you lazy bastard look after I said hi to them. So much for being courteous. Although there are bugs, they're not biting me. And the train, well, it's rather flat. And it is choked with small shrubs, mostly mountain ash. This looks like an area where you would take a bear by surprise if you come around a corner. My cup is clanging away, keeping the bears away from me. Snap! Whoosh! Ah, crap, my shoulder strap on my right side breaks. Trip is over, I say to myself, after seeing my load shift to my left, then off my shoulder to the ground. Examining the damage, the stitching holding a buckle to the shoulder pad itself became undone. 
This buckle attaches to a strap that comes up from the bottom part of my frame. I determine a quick sewing job is in order, and using some nylon thread and a needle, I get the job done. While I'm quietly stitching away, I can hear some rustling in the bushes from whence I came. Before I can muster up a whistleblow, the beatnik comes around the corner. Blocking the trail, my pack is setting on a blown-over tree. Oh, let me get out of your way, I say, finishing up my sew job. No, that's okay. We need to take a break, he says, slowly sinking into the duff, carrying that 75-pound pack full of canned goods. No, really, I'm moving on. I'm, I'm moving right now, I said, and I put my pack on my body, strap in, and hop over the deadfall. One step, two step, three step, snap. There goes my right shoulder pad. And watch my load shift to the left, and it, too, crashed to the ground. Dude, you okay? Says the beatneck, peeking around the corner. Shit! I just repaired my left buckle, now my right one breaks, I say, imagining what are the odds of that happening. I take off my pack, and I lug it onto the same downed tree. The beatnik and his group take a break while I stitch my patch back to health. I do so and decide to wrap both buckles with duct tape. Digging through my pack, I have an ample supply for a change, and I wrap the buckle securely to the padded strap and nylon. I also check my hip and pad that broke away back on the other side of Marquette. Seems like this happened a month ago. The stitching I had placed in the pad was very loose. In fact, my pad was noticeably sliding down my hip shifting my pack weight in weird directions, making it not uncomfortable but noticeable that there was a problem with my center of gravity. So, what does a red-blooded American do to fix it? Duct tape it. And I did, but this would only be a temporary solution. Standing there thinking about the food situation for the beatniks and his group, I do a little bit of math. They have 75 pounds of food for five people over four days. 75 pounds total divided by 5 people equals five pound, 25 pounds a day divided by 4 days. That's 6 pounds of food per person per day. That's way, way too much. Eat, eating about 2 pounds a day for me, I feel that's probably too much as I constantly have food left over. I make it to 7 Mile in a little over 2 hours of walking. It's around 4.45 p.m. and I'm the only one in the campground even though there's a tent pitched on the other pad about 200 feet away. Greeting my presence is Seven Mile Creek, which is rushing towards Lake Superior. It, too, seems to be late for something. What's the hurry? It's a stained tea color, and the water indicates there's a swamp upstream yielding tannic acid into the river. This is the same component that gives your tea its color. Thoughts are racing through my mind. It's cloudy, and I set my bivouac prepared for rain. I quickly cook my dinner of macaroni and cheese, clean up my mess, and sit on a log by a fire pit. I especially thought about that beatnik in his group, especially the 12-year-old strawberry blonde boy who brought every stitch of clothing he owned with him. No wonder why his pack weighed so much. It appeared that it may even weigh more than my 35-pound behemoth. This gets me to thinking, I wonder why people bring more than what they need backpacking. I've seen this over and over on my trip. Overpackers. Probably because they live their life with amenities they do not need, but what they want and lust for. They carry this attitude with them backpacking, not realizing that they have to carry all that stuff. It's not until reality strikes them deep, deep in the woods that they've made a mistake. If humans lived their lives like a true backpacker, the world would be a much better place to live. Think about it. Everything you bring with you, necessary or not, you have to carry. 
In real life, we buy gadgets and other unnecessary items and put them in cupboards, closets, attics, and garages. You do not have this luxury on the trail. Therefore, a backpacker should only bring what is needed, which is easier said than done. I can break this down into its basic elements of how we live our lives and how it would be treated if you approach it with a backpacking attitude. As for clothing, I carry two pairs of underwear, three pairs of socks, two pairs of quick-drying nylon pants, two shirts made of the same fabric, a cotton t-shirt, long underwear top and bottom, a fleece coat, Gore-Tex rain pants, and a Gore-Tex windbreaker. As I read this list, I realize that is way too much. I by no means have an expansive wardrobe at home, as many will attest. I keep uh, you know, a couple outfits reserved for formal functions, so not to wear them out prematurely. I know some people that buy an outfit, wear it once or twice, then put it in their closet. How wasteful. If I did this on the trail, I'd be naked by now, and nobody wants to see that. For traveling, simply put, the basic form of travel is by foot. Get out of your car and walk, for crying out loud, if you have the opportunity. The reason we have so many roads is that most of us are too darn lazy to hoof it. Sad fact that 98% of all visitors to national parks do not venture more than 500 feet from the pavement provided for their vehicles. We are a society that we want everything brought to us as close as possible without getting out of our cars. Maybe that is why we are so obese as a nation. We don't get out and walk enough. At Pictured Rocks, there are approximately 10,000 backcountry backpackers, and those are a fraction of the quarter million or so total visiting the park in a year. That's 2.5% of all visitors venture away from their cars for more than one day. That, to me, is a sad state of affairs. For housing, most backpackers will bring a tent. I have a tarp, and I gave up the sleeping bag halfway through. And I really never needed a tent. Properly constructed, a tarp with a ground cloth is all you need to stay relatively dry. I also take up a minimal amount of space in any campground with my bivouac. I take up about 10% of the space for housing my equipment and myself than your average camper. I also practice leave no trace. Um, I make no trenches. I build no fires outside of a ring or leave trash wherever I camp. I work with nature, not against it. I utilize the majestic white pines for cover. I plant myself near low shrubs to cut down on the wind. Think of all the houses built in the area where a bulldozer goes in, clears out a perfectly good forest, and replaces it with sod, a cheaply made house, and a few twigs a realtor calls trees. Instead of incorporating the house into the existing forest, you know, working with nature, developers tend to take out everything and replace it with a neat and orderly house and lawn, which is working against nature. No wonder why their electric bills are so high in the summer. The trees that provide natural air conditioning are gone, along the new poorly insulated house to bake in the sun. That, my fellow humans, is not a leave-no-trace attitude. It's the lack of a land ethic that motivates people to do this. So sanitation, I have to properly dispose of my waste in order not to pollute the local environment. This includes trash and body waste. Trash is easy to dispose. What little trash I produce, I carry with me in a small baggie. The less you waste, the less you carry. And as for body waste, I have to keep that at least 200 feet from water and trails so not to pollute them. Solid body waste is put into what we call a cat hole, which is about four to six inches deep, and we cover it not to leave a sign that we were there. Now are you grossed out? Well, ask yourself where your body waste goes after you flush. And the answer is not away. Is it a septic tank or a sewer? And if it's a sewer, where does it go? Do you know where your local wastewater treatment plant is? 
after treating the sewage, into what body of water does it go into? Did you know that's what happens with your waste? It gets treated and goes into usually a nearby river. When you're backpacking, you have to be very aware of where your waste goes as not to pollute the water. Speaking of water, we humans, especially in the Great Lakes states, take this for granted. Surrounded by 20% of the world's freshwater supply, we do not realize how fortunate we really are. However, making sure it is potable or drinkable involves extreme scrutiny on my part to evaluate every precious drop, for without water, I would die in a matter of days. I must first identify a body of water having the potential of providing me this necessary liquid. Be it a swamp, a stream, Lake Superior, every drop must pass through a filter to remove any microorganisms that can make me sick, especially Girardia, which is also known as beaver fever. Once water passes through my filter, I carry stored water wherever I go. A pint of water weighs a pound, and I have up to 16 pints on me at any one time. When I come to a body of water, I evaluate it for its drinkability. Is it moving fast or slow? Fast rivers generally are cleaner than slow-moving streams because it is constantly flushing itself of sediments and organisms. Is it clear, tea-colored, cloudy? Clear and tea-colored water usually tastes fine and is safe to drink. Swampy, muddy, or cloudy water will clog my filter, making it useless. Are there any beaver dams in sight? Beaver carries Girardia with them and deposits this microorganism wherever it travels. Beaver usually means that I don't drink the water. A simple test to see if a stream is free of pollution is looking for insect larvae that cannot tolerate even the smallest amounts of pollution. So I'll turn over rocks and I look for caddisflies, dragonflies, stoneflies, and mayfly larvae. The presence of these organisms means the water is free and clear of most pollutants, especially those that eat up oxygen. I go through this process every single time I borrow water from the earth. At home, we turn on the tap, water comes out, and we take it for granted. Ask yourself, where does this water come from? If for some reason your water supply was cut off, would you know how to find drinkable water on your own? For food, I must carry everything and I cook every morsel of food I can. To conserve fuel, about 40% of my food requires no heat at all. My food, for the most part, was, was bought in bulk, not only because it's cheaper, but there are also less packaging involved. Therefore, less energy was used in its production. Taking my bulk items, I broke all my foodstuffs down and put it in resealable plastic baggies. Even the baggies I use, I use over and over until they disintegrate. And I do so by putting duct tape around their edges. Finding nutritious bulk food in Battle Creek, well, it was quite challenging when I was preparing for this trip. At the local Meyer, all but six of the hundred bins of food, bulk food that is, were candy. No wonder so many people in Battle Creek are obese. And look in your cupboard. How many food items do you buy that are in bulk? Better yet, concentrate on the packaging. Is it really necessary? My personal favorite are those Lunchables, plastic wrapper around a cardboard sleeve surrounding a plastic dish complete with plastic wrap crackers, cheese, and a little plastic knife for spreading the condiments. All for five American dollars. Heck, for five bucks, I can get three pounds of pasta, which lasts me, I don't know, about six or so meals, which is more than I can save for those Lunchables. So what does this all come down to? Well, only acquiring those items that you need to have a comfortable, not excessive existence. And that is the key to backpacking. Be comfortable, but don't be excessive, because if you're excessive, you're going to be uncomfortable. 
Anyway, here I am, sitting, enjoying the nearby rushing stream, the relative quiet, my wits, my thoughts, and equipment, waiting for my neighbors to show up. And they do. Again, it's the beatnik and his 14s arriving around sundown. It took them nine hours to walk five miles. I also meet Damien and Cheryl, a couple in their mid-20s. They're both school teachers, and they travel extensively in the summer. Damien has worked for Vision Quest and has a host of backcountry experiences that puts me to shame. He is, though, in awe of my trip. We start talking about the trip and all the associated questions. find ourselves talking about our current dilemmas. They did not know that they could walk from Munising to Grand Marie and take a shuttle. You know, oh my, public transportation. So there's public transportation, they didn't even know about it, and they could do that coming back to Munising. Their current plan was to walk halfway, uh, and that's where they were right now at 7 Mile, and then turn around. My current dilemma is to fix my ailing backpack. My cousin's meeting me in Grand Marie in two days. He could give you a ride back to Munising, I say, when the thought arrived to me in a heap. Oh no, we wouldn't want to impose, says Damien, who has a who has brown hair, and he's awfully tan and built like a brick shit house. He'll be okay, I am sure. We took two backpackers from Copper Harbor to Houghton once in a Saturn. Four grown men, four backpacks. I'm telling you, he'll do it. I say sincerely. Furthermore, I would like their company for the next day and a half. We'll sleep on it let you know in the morning, says Damien. They say toodles and make their way back to their tent. I retire for the night and hopeful that I'll get my pack fixed and squared away for the final one quarter of my trip. That's one thing I was glad I did was I packed repair uh, tools and supplies, duct tape, needle, thread, things like that. Because um, uh, I have found in my backpacking career, uh, it has come in awfully handy. Nothing like having a buckle brake. Uh, in fact, the sternum strap, which connects the two big straps on your chest together, I had one of those break in a wilderness area, and uh, I actually had an extra buckle with me, so worked out really well. So be prepared, as they say. All right, well, thanks again for walking with me through Pitchered Rocks. Tomorrow we'll pick this up again and head out towards Grand Marais. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you again.